You're listening to a podcast of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. We exist to declare and demonstrate Christ in all of life so as to make people whole in Him. Good morning. Let's turn our Bibles to Psalm 69. Uh, We will kind of be all over the text this morning, but uh, I'd really like for us to start in Psalm 69. We are going to read, I will read verses 30 through 33. And by God's grace, I'll pray and preach. So let's take a look at Psalm 69, verses 30 through 33. This is God's word. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy does not despise his own people who are prisoners. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your grace in Jesus Christ. Without him, Lord, we have no answer for all of our struggles, all of our sin, and there's no way for us to be reconciled to the Father, but in you, coming through the blood of Jesus Christ, who has given himself, we come boldly to you. We ask now that you would show us yourself through these texts, We ask that you give us humble hearts and ears to hear, and Lord, that you would make us not only hearers, but doers of the word. Lord, therefore, would you you receive glory and honor as your word is proclaimed, and as we, your people, respond to it in faithful obedience. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, If you've been with us for the last two weeks, you know that we've finished up the book of Ecclesiastes, and we've been taking a few weeks to kind of do a mini-series Uh, on the means of grace, or we also call them the spiritual disciplines. Uh, We often approach these things as Christians, of course, as we should do, because we're Christians, and that's what kind of things that we do. Um, And although that is true, I spent the last week, the two weeks, bringing us back to the Word to see these things and why they actually matter for a Christian to do in the first place trying to understand them. We're trying to ask and and understand the question, why do Christians do these things that God calls us to do? The first week, I simply was trying to help us aim at something when it came to the spiritual disciplines. These means of grace, like Bible reading and praying and worshiping with the church, aren't magical ceremonies. I hope we all understand that. And what I mean by that is they aren't like praying the rosary or making a trip to Mecca, some sort of pilgrimage, And like in the deed itself, somehow we get more grace and somehow just automatically it creates more glory for God in the doing of these little things. It's not like that. The goal of the spiritual disciplines is to pursue knowing Christ. It's to know God. And we saw this in Philippians 3, two weeks ago, verses 1 through 11, that this was our goal was to know him and therefore glorify and enjoy him forever. Paul said that he kind of viewed all of his incredible resume, remember that, his his good works, all of his incredible background and where he came from, he was willing to take all that and his discipline and his impressive heritage and count it as rubbish compared to knowing Christ, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. When we engage then in, in these means of grace, we are aiming at God. We are aiming to know God. We are aiming at that there was some some sort of reciprocity, like we're actually engaging to know God. 
We certainly must know about him, but we want to know him as our God. And so we engage these things. These spiritual disciplines are actually gifts to us so that we might know God. These are his ordained pathways or channels so that we might receive grace and we might know him more and so that we could grow both in our knowledge but also that we would understand and bring honor and glory to our king. So that's what I mean when I talk about grace, the free gifting or blessing of God to his people. So uh, working, we, that's what we kind of worked through in the first week. And then last week, we jumped into the first and most foundational way to know and glorify God. That's through taking in his word, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, meditating on the scriptures, memorizing these things. This is because, of course, the Bible testifies not only to God, but to the word, to Jesus Christ, the one who explains God better than anything else that has come before. We saw from Hebrews 1 that, of course, uh, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, and we rejoice in this. But in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son, by his son, Jesus Christ. And we glory in this. And so we looked and understood that the scriptures show us Christ. They testify to the truth and the historicity of who this person is and all that he claims to be. And so it's here we find out about him, and it's through this that we might know him. This is what it does, and it's through the Bible here that we hear God's voice. And as the, the name spiritual discipline implies, we're encouraged, especially if you remember from 1 Timothy, that we're to be active. We're encouraged to go after or train after godliness, that we would go after these things, that they're not sitting on the sideline hoping that they happen to us to train ourselves for the good work of knowing God and his word and obeying him. How are you doing in that, by the way? I don't normally start out with <laughs> this kind of a question, but I, I want to ask you this. Um, how did you react to the, the word preached last week as you thought through it? Did, did, you, did you apply the questions and what we saw from the scriptures even in your own lives? Has anything changed for you? I'm not, I'm not necessarily talking about like some sort of seismic shift and like where you really changed last week. I'm talking about the slow, very ordinary and wonderful work that God does as he brings conviction to our heart and calls us to obedience. So it's like a really simple question. Did you obey? We're not here to just get more downloaded stuff. We are here to worship our Lord. And in the process, we recognize he calls us to see him rightly. The reason we spend so much time to sing the words of God and, and to pray the words of God and to, and to read the words of God together and then to preach the words of God is so that we might take these things so seriously that they might change who we are by the Spirit's power. This is our desire that he would change us. I want to consider whether or not we're listening as disciples of Jesus Christ and reacting in obedience. I'm not saying we just nail it the first time. It's a process whereby we walk with Christ and we follow and we obey his word. Has your heart been stirred to obedience? Maybe in the area of taking God's word in. Maybe it's through memorizing. Maybe it's one verse a week so that you might have something to meditate on. I just want to call us regularly to think and obey for what God has called us to do. So last week we saw the wonderful means of grace of God's word in our lives. It was revealed in Christ as he draws us closer and knowing him and loving him and glorifying him. This week I want to move from hearing God's voice 
to having God's ear. So, you see I'm going here? Like hearing God's voice through his word, but now having his ear, having him be the one, the one who is given of himself and spoken to us. Not only is this God one who has given us his word, he has given us himself in relationship. Talk about that reciprocity where there's something, a giving and a taking, a receiving and a giving back and forth, where it is actually an intimate relationship. He is not only, and it's true, but he is not only a transcendent God, high and lifted up, completely other than we are. He is these things. He's creator and Lord of all, and we worship him, worship him as such. But he's also the God who's come near to his people. Is he not Emmanuel? God with us, a God who stoops to engage with his people and interact with them in close fellowship so that they would know his very heart, respond in love and joy in knowing this God. Yes, we are blessed to hear God's voice. We praise the Lord for that. But have you considered the fact that we are blessed to have God's ear I don't know if this is the way that we always think about it. I have a feeling that you might be like me, and that sometimes you think of prayer as a chore that you know is a good thing to do and you want to do it, and you know it pleases God, but you kind of think about it as a chore, some kind of time I have to set aside to do this thing. Do we recognize that this is a blessing, a grace that the God of the universe would hear our voice, would hear our cry, would understand us? Today I want to talk about the Christian discipline of prayer. I want to talk about the means of grace whereby we know God as we interact with him, speak to him on his terms. That's what we're talking about this morning is prayer. This has been a kind of a tough sermon for me, mainly because I wanted to talk about a thousand different things. Uh, so many different conversations with so many of you are going on in my own head that I want to talk about this and that and not this and then make sure we don't fall off this cliff and... I feel as though I could talk for a long time, but I want to I simply bring us back and help the rest of the Bible to teach us as we go out from here, because many years to come, we'll continue to run into passages that teach us to pray. So today, what I'd like to do is I'd just like to answer from the Bible one question, if I can, which is, why should we pray? I think most of us know and already believe that we should pray, but I think that I can best accomplish the difficult task of confronting our hearts with the word in a way that we actually realize that we need God to change our hearts as we obey by answering this one question. Why should we pray? So because it's both memorable and because I do believe they're helpful, I, have give, I will give you three points. Uh, I don't always do this, but there's three reasons why we should pray. Um, kids, this is really simple. Or teens, if you take notes, you'll be able to catch all three of these. I'll say them several times. We're going to try to understand these. I want you to write them down. I want you to think about them seriously. I want you to take them and then quiz your parents on them to see if they listened today. And then have discussions together about the reasons why we understand the Bible calls us to pray. All right, so here's the first one. Why should we pray? Number one, God commands it. Mic drop. Done. Right? Okay, we all know what to do. God commands this. Now, we know that if God commands something, that we should probably do it. In fact, we know that we should probably do it. The Bible makes this pretty clear. But 
if you forgot about this idea of if he commands something, we should obey it, let me just simply go back to our last book of the Bible that we worked through, Ecclesiastes. If you remember at the very end, in chapter 12, in the final verses, he kind of says this, the end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. The, the most reasonable thing that anyone can do, and incidentally, the most godly thing that anyone can do, is fear God and keep his commandments. This is how we're to respond when God commands us to do something. So, the question is, what does the Bible command us to do or tell us to do about prayer? Uh, hold on to your seats. Let's go through this for a little bit. I'm not going to tell you everything, but I think that you'll get a good idea here as we talk about two major categories. First is that Jesus prays and assumes and even expects his disciples to pray and teaches them this way. The second is that the rest of the apostles and then the New Testament writers just can't stop talking about this and calling us to prayer. So let me just, just go through here. Matthew 26, we see Jesus going through three specific times to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. Verse 36 says this, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Verse 42, he comes back after something else, and he says, Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Verse 43, 44, so leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. That's pretty intense. I mean, all this one night, and now we recognize, I mean, like, Chris, if you were going to your death that night, you'd probably be praying a lot too that evening. Well, certainly that's true. So let's back up a little bit. Let's talk about other places. Luke 6, we see Jesus praying all night. Uh, we see this here. He says in verse 12 of chapter 6, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Well, I mean, that was right before he called his disciples, right, Chris? So, I mean, obviously it's like a big decision he's got to make, so of course he better pray and fast and do really good work to make sure he's ready for this. Okay, okay. So let's see what else is going on. Luke 11, 1. Disciples find Jesus praying Say this, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. Well, you could say, well, that's because Jesus was trying to give them a legitimate opportunity. Like, he couldn't just tell them to pray. He had to actually show them and give them an instance to pray. So that's obviously why he did it then as well. Okay, well, let's just talk about times where he was alone with his father then. How about right before the feeding of the 5,000? If you remember what he does in verse 13, he says, Now Jesus heard this. He withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. And as the, the feeding of the 5,000 5, happens, we know that as the story closes out and he sends them away, he says this in verse 23. And Matthew says this, And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. I don't know if you remember this sermon. This is so impactful for me. After a huge day of ministry and work, he's probably exhausted. I would have definitely taken a nap or gone to sleep there. He goes to ask God what to do. He goes to find fellowship and rest in God, going away to be by himself with the Lord. How about Mark 1.35? And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. 
about Luke 5, 15 through 16. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. I mean, guys, it's all over the place. Jesus is consistently going to the Father and talking with him and fellowshipping with him. He is consistent in his pursuit of God in prayer. Jesus, by his very example, calls us to pray to our Father, but he goes further to instruct his followers. He assumes it when he begins teaching them in the prayer in Matthew 6, 5. He says this, and when you pray. (laughs) He starts off like, because I know you're going to, right? Right, disciples? And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they received their reward. Jesus doesn't even command it here. He just assumes that if they're going to follow him, they are going to pray. This is how he begins his teaching in the Lord's Prayer. If you remember this, Luke 11. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say. He goes on to talk about this, of course, and instruct them. But again, his assumption is that they would commune with God in prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And he goes on. Listen to Luke 18.1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray. That was read for us at the beginning here. Did you you hear the beginning of that? I'll say it again. Um, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. That's his point. Is he teaching them that this ought to be your posture? Or Luke 6, 28, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Not praying to them. He's praying to the Lord about those who abuse him. Jesus' life and ministry is shaped by knowing the Father through prayer. He regularly engages in prayer. He taught his disciples to pray. He brought them along through times of deep suffering and great times of communication with God in prayer. This was his way, teaching them for utter dependence on the Father and the joy of knowing him in prayer. So Jesus calls us to pray, but we also see the command to pray in the letters of Paul and otherwise throughout the New Testament. Listen to Romans 12, 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Uh, Colossians 4.2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. This is easy. Pray without ceasing. Yeah, easy, right. Uh, Ephesians 6.18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Praying for all the saints. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Doubtless you guys know most of these verses, right? About James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. There is just no way around this. God has blatantly over and over again, told us to pray. It's pretty clear. My question then again is, will you obey? From what you've heard, from the Word. This is is not my words. This is not Chris telling you to pray. This is like Jesus himself telling us and calling us in discipleship to pray. Um, What excuse do we have for neglecting prayer? 
Are you, are you stubborn and lazy like me? Or maybe you are weary and burdened like David, beat down? Maybe you feel so far away from God that you couldn't possibly come to him with what's going on for you. There's so much sin in your life. There's no way that he could hear me. I've got to clean myself up before he could possibly hear me. Or maybe you're doubtful. You believe, but you're wavering. It's, it's difficult to do this very act of faith. Friends, there is hope for us in this call to prayer. He has not called us to something that he will not empower us to do. He does not leave it up to us somehow and has us, hope you can do it. He calls us by the power of his might and by the word that he says to be subject to him and to do what he has called us to do in prayer. So I'll stay then for the stubborn, the, the disobedient. I want to ask you this question from Hebrews 3, 12 and 15. First, I'm going to read it here and see if this rings true. Writer says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Are you in the midst of sin of some sort? For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear the voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Here we go. This is where we're at right now. Do not harden your hearts. Listen to the word and respond. That means in repentance given by God and enjoy that he loves to hear one who confesses and comes to him for help and grace. So you who are stubborn and rebellious, let us together hear this call. Do not harden your hearts. This is grace to us. So it calls us to turn and obey him. For those who are weary and burdened, just beat down by different things going on in your own lives, may I encourage you from Matthew eleven twenty through 30. Jesus says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Man, what sweet words. 1 Peter 5, 6-7, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. A similar verse is found in Psalm 55, 22. I love this one. My kids sing it because it comes on the, I think the Seeds of Faith CD. It says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. This is God's call to us. For those of us that are weak and wounded, come to the one who can carry your load. He will not permit the righteous to fall and be dashed. He is a good shepherd who's gentle and lowly in spirit, in heart. And if you doubt, me another word for you here, if you struggle to believe that God could ever hear you in the midst of your sin, how could it possibly be true? Or maybe you struggle with doubt of what things really going on here. Hear from Mark 9 when Jesus calls the man to obedience. Mark 9, Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. This is my guy. I love this call. In my struggle, I believe, help my unbelief. I'm not there. I know it. 
but I know that you call me to this, and I want it, Lord. Friend, this is a cry of the one who understands he is both unworthy of the Father to listen to him at all, and yet understands he doesn't even have enough to, to come to, to call by himself, enough proper faith to work up in himself. And he says, I believe, help my unbelief. So if you're struggling with doubt, friend, you're not alone. Call to God, both in belief and asking that he would supply that faith. So, why should we pray? The first reason is simple. God commands it. He calls us to do it. He calls each and every one of us in here today to approach him in prayer. Uh, what will hold us back then from this simple trusting obedience in prayer? I call us to turn to him, obeying his command to pray. But this is not the only reason. In fact, um, if, it, if, it, if, it was, um, if it might be tempted to think that God's commands, if this is the way we presented this, if we walked out right now, we might be tempted to think that God's commands were arbitrary or meaningless. He just chooses a few things to do and calls us to do those things, as if prayer was just one of the six things that he came up with that we're supposed to do as Christians. And then if we do those things, that's what's going to happen. It's a good thing. We just, please God, we're, we might be tempted to think that we are just supposed to be rule followers. Friends, let me say really quickly, fear God and keep his commandments. It's a good thing to be a rule follower in the right way. So it's, don't, let's not miss that for a moment here. But in that truth, I want us to also think about all that God has spoken to us about interacting, what he has told us both as he calls us to those things and as he receives our prayers, what does he say? If this is all we knew about prayer, it would be enough to know that we are called to do it, but he gives us far more than just the basic command to pray. So why should we pray? The second thing, the second reason, because through it, we know God. The first one is that God commands it, but the second one is that through it, through prayer, we know God. The relationship that we have with God is, I mean, it's, it's, it's too short to just say it's incredible. It's unbelievable. This is bringing us back to that motivation that we talked about in Philippians 3. How do we know someone if we never speak to them? We talked about for a while how we couldn't get to know someone unless we at least heard from them. But how are we personally ever to get involved with this person unless we speak to them? Yes, of course, we can hear his voice. Yes, we can understand his character. Yes, we can understand what he requires of us. But this God is not just the God of one giant mass of Christians over all of time, as though he just deals with us in one giant Christian blob. He individually knows each one of us. He hears our cry. I mean, I am amazed that our God knows Chris Lowndes, that he knows each and every one of you. He knows your thoughts. He knows your desires. He understands from the beginning to end what's going on with you. Psalm 34, I'm sorry, he's a God who knows and loves and listens to each of us in our prayers. Psalm 34, 15 says this, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Peter quotes the same thing. He actually is quoting that section. He says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. He listens. Listen to John, in 1 John 5, 13 through 15. You're going to see a lot of things in here, but I want you to listen in for this idea of how God listens. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. 
And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. The God of heaven is not only the transcendent God, high and lifted up and completely other, a creator of all. Truly, he is. Praise God. We worship him as such. But he is also the God who comes near to his people, the one who walks with Adam in the garden. He's the one who has made us. He understands. He's made a way for us to speak to him, requests be made known to him, and to fellowship with him. This is a God who stoops to engage with his people and interact with them in a close fellowship so that they would know his very heart and therefore rejoice in knowing him. God has allowed us the immense privilege of speaking to him in prayer. Let me just add a sentence again. God has allowed us the immense privilege of speaking to him in prayer. He listens. I don't know how many of you uh, maybe have worked for or do work for large corporations or have at some point in your life, uh, before I was full-time here, I worked at two different ones. I'm talking about places that have maybe a couple hundred employees or maybe a couple thousand employees. So if if you know at least about that, this will make sense. Um, In both those situations that I worked in these places that had hundreds or thousands of employees, I never once talked to the CEO. I never once talked to the president of the company. I I don't think any of them knew my name let alone like actually talk with me. When it comes to getting things done, the CEO or the, the president, I mean, in one sense, they're kind of all powerful within that company. If anything can get anything done, it's them. There is or should be great respect for that person who bears the weight of overseeing the, the success of the company, right? And so, uh, just like when I think about these kind of things, when it comes to getting things done in all these different ways, I, I play a very small part. And so it just wasn't an option for me, little old employee number 1046, to go and talk to the president about the things that I had concerns about. I never once stepped foot in their office. I didn't once send them an email. I didn't call them on the phone. And probably for some of you, depending on the size of the company, you don't even know how to call them. Their their numbers are probably hidden. Their emails are not accessible to you in one way. Now, I want to just take a moment for a minute and, and, and play off this. I am not saying in any way that God is a CEO or the president. I want to make sure we're understanding this. He's not a CEO at all. He's the creator, the sovereign Lord, the judge. He alone knows all things and will work all things out for his own glory and for his people's good. He is not only higher in degree or rank, right? He's of a completely different kind. He is creator. We are creature. He's not way above us like on the measuring stick. No, no, he made the measuring stick and is holding the measuring stick. It's not as though we're on the same playing field, but he's just a lot taller than us. It's completely different in this way. I'm saying that God is more transcendent, more glorious, more lifted up than we could ever imagine. We see this to be true in the scriptures, and yet he hears the prayer of his saints, stooping low to listen to his people. Yes, we are blessed to hear God's voice, but Have you considered that we are blessed to have God's ear? To be a people who are heard by the almighty God of the universe. So why should you pray? Goodness gracious, because we get to. Because we can know and speak to the one who has made us. 
This is the means of grace whereby God, we know God as we interact with him on his terms. Now, that's an important part, right? We could hear all that baked, baked into the passages that we kind of read a little bit there. Listen to 1 John 5 again. I want you to pick up on this. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. He doesn't just blanket, put it out there for everybody that he listens to them. That's not what he says here. Now, I'm just letting you know, some of you people might not like this because you want to like everyone to be fair. Listen to what John says. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Then he says this, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He listens to his people who pray to him on his terms. And let me remind you, before you think that bad of God in some way, that he is good in every single way. Not only is he God that is great and mighty and powerful, he is also all wise and does everything right. He calls us to pray on his terms. These are not prayers that we might get what we want, or even like through our best wisdom, we come up with the way and we think if we just pray that he kind of blesses that, that that's the best way. No, 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 no. We're taught to pray in the scriptures over and over again. And the prophets have left us in incalculable riches when it comes to learning how to pray and approach God. The Psalms are a deep, deep well to show us about every different type of prayer imaginable as we come to know and speak with God. Jesus directs his disciples and their approach to God. And we recognize that, I said this before, but the New Testament writers just can't stop talking about it and calling one another and teaching us how to pray, both for God's glory, but then also for the good of our saints around us. And as we prayed this morning, for those who are lost and do not know God, that he would open their eyes and that they would believe in the Son of God they would also be heard by God. So since God has taught us to pray and calls us to pray, and since we have promises that he hears his people and answers those prayers according to his will, can you start to feel the tug of how incredible this privilege is that we can talk to God? God commands it, but he also lets us know him in prayer. In prayer, by, by faith here, we see that God has, has called us to, to pray according to his purposes, according to his will. We cry out to God to know him personally and to depend on him personally. I think about this in at least four ways. And maybe some of you have used this acronym, ACTS, A-C-T-S, in your prayers. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Let me just kind of talk through these. Because it was hard for me to think that I had a lot of meditating on this week. How do we know God through prayer? Let me try it at least help us. We cry out to God in praise or adoration. We praise him for who he is, calling out for the only wise God that he is. We praise his glorious character. We praise his eternally perfect execution of his will. And there's no shortage of things, if we look through the scriptures, about the character of God to pray for. It's a never-ending source as we look to him and we find him to be infinitely valuable. So we know him both as we speak to these truths, we speak them back to him. As we do so, not only do we hear them again, but we go through the liturgy of speaking this as truth to God. And just like the man in Mark 9, I, have, I think it might be true that sometimes even while we praise God, we're asking or saying, I believe, help my unbelief. I know this is true of you. 
but it's almost as though we put it in our mouth and it's another thing to help us believe the truth and the sweetness of who God is and all that he does. We cry out in praise and adoration and in this way we know God. How about confession? We, 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 we confess our sins before the Lord. As we look to him in his word, we are immediately struck with the fact that we do not measure up to his character or what he requires of us. And because we see him for all that he is, because we know him, we respond in saying, Lord, I am not worthy to be here whatsoever. We cannot measure up and so in confession, we look to him. And instead of cowering, or instead of running away, as far as we can away from God, in confession, we rejoice that he takes those who come in his name by the blood of Jesus Christ, depending on him alone, and in humility say, I confess. I say the same things about myself that you say, God, because I know who you are. And because we know who he is, we therefore step forward saying, only you can forgive. Only you can make me whole and restore me to the person that you have called me to be. I need you. In confession, Again, we recognize the character of God. We acknowledge the truth about ourselves and look to him for forgiveness and restoration. This is the process of knowing God and he is faithful to forgive and to restore us. This is not then knowing God in theory, right? This is not sitting in a core seminar class talking about praying to God. This is on the ground experiential faith saying, God, I confess my sin to you. I say the same thing about who you say I am. Thanks, in, in this way then, it's not theory, but it's a personal, personal admission of guilt and utter dependence on his grace as we cry out for his help. In prayer, we also thank him. So we talk about adoration or praise, and confession, but thanksgiving. I believe the scriptures will even give a little bit of differentiation between praise and thanksgiving. I'm not saying it's a hard line, but there is some overlap. But it seems as though thanksgiving comes when we consider the works of God, what he has done, both of the past works he has done and the ones that he continues to do today in our own lives. In thanksgiving, we give joyfully, we attribute the credit to God. Again, it's a knowing of saying, I know that this thing over here that happened, I heard, I won't say his name, but we heard a brother this week talk about this in our own community group. And he said, I know that it was God alone who did this. And so I praise him. Even though this brother had actually gone through the rigor, had done the work, but he recognized that it was God. And so he clearly attributed all the praise and glory to God and thanked him for it. And guess what? As a community group, we join in thanksgiving, recognizing that God had worked on this brother and on his behalf. So it's here we see and we, we speak to the fact that God acts in Thanksgiving, we grow in knowing God through rehearsing God's works throughout the world. And the fourth thing, in prayer, we intercede, or we, it's sometimes called supplication, where we either pray and ask God for things that we need, or that we may end up praying for others and interceding for others on their behalf, things that they need. This is the personal calling of God in faith, believing that he hears us and that he can do something about it, and that he will he will respond according to his will. That doesn't mean that we always get the answer that we want or that we even know the answer at the time, but we trust that he will do so according to his will. This depends completely on the character and the ability of God. 
So as we obey and engage him in prayer, as we know we are called to trust in him and in his word, we look to him as the only God who can come through on his promises, on our behalf and on behalf of others. So in asking requests for others or ourselves, we're not only saying right things about God, but we are also bringing these things to him as though he's the one that can do these things. In asking requests for others or ourselves, we're not only saying the right things about him, but we are also bringing those things out of our mouths and reminding ourselves of these truths. So what I'm saying is this is an experimental or experiential is the right way to say this, knowing of God that cannot be done only by receiving. So go back to that question. Why should we pray? Through prayer, we know and experience and find great joy in God. But although this is right and good and biblical, it is not the greatest reason that you and I should pray. There's something more ultimate. Let's consider the final reason. Why should we pray? Through prayer, God is pleased. Through prayer, God is pleased. Uh, This goes all the way back to where we kind of started uh, two weeks ago. The chief end of man is not for man to enjoy himself. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Is it to get our requests? Let's talk about prayer for a minute. Why do we pray? Is it to get our requests answered? Is it to find joy? Is it to make sure that we properly obey all the commands that God told us to? He, he called us to do those things? Well, those are all fine answers and they are good in their context, absolutely. But they don't get to the ultimate reason. Why should we pray? Because joyful, obedient prayer on God's terms brings him glory. It pleases him. It gives him pleasure. He delights in it. He accepts this. Because joyful, obedient prayer on God's terms brings him glory. Not only has God allowed us the immense privilege of coming to him and speaking to him in prayer, he wants us to, he wants to hear us coming to him in prayer because it gives him glory. Now, make sure you understand me here. I'm not saying in some way God is like sitting on a cloud hoping that we'll pray to him. That's not what's going on here. But we see the scriptures very clearly that this gives him great pleasure when his saints call on him as God. Prayer is all about God. Praising God is all about God. Confession, saying the same thing about God and ourselves before him, is about God. Thanksgiving for all that God has done is about God. Supplication or asking God to do things that only God can do is all about God. Now let me try to show you that God is pleased with the prayers of the saints. Listen to, or if you'd like to turn, you can, to Psalm 51, 16, and 17. You probably know this psalm already, David's response to God. Psalm 51, 16, and 17 says this, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Meaning, empty sacrifices or offerings that we think that we're offering to God in some sort of way that kind of like, maybe keeps him at bay or offers him something of ours, but not all of us, 
not a broken and contrite heart, but it offers what we want to give to him, it does not please him. It does not delight him. It does not please him in these ways whatsoever. The heart that is broken, that no longer trusts itself and completely gives itself over to God is the heart that pleases the Lord. Psalm 147.10 goes on from this. It says this, His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. It is not the mighty works of Christians that please God, but an attitude of true fear, awe, reverence, and holy terror at who this God is. But it doesn't stop there. Did you notice that? He says, it's the one who hopes in the steadfast love of this God. What pleases God is the Christian who understands himself before God and cries out to him as his only hope. It comes to the end of itself and it knows it can't do it. The Christian knows that only God has a track record of steadfast love and this type of prayer brings pleasure to the Lord. You may say, well, Chris, it doesn't really say anything about prayer in that verse, just about fearing God and hoping in God. Okay, I would argue that it is 100% consistent as an outworking of hope and fear to pray. But in case you want more, let me lastly go to Proverbs 15.8. This one to me is the clincher. Proverbs 15.8, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. Now, the ESV, is, I think, does a little bit too much here. It doesn't help us get the real word that's going on here. I want to kind of pull this back. It's certainly true that the prayers of the upright are acceptable to him. Absolutely. But the word that we're seeing in Hebrew says a lot more than just that. Listen to the King James Version. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Right, you get that? The prayer of the upright is his delight. NIV says the Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases him. This is right, and it helps us understand. Not only does God accept the prayer of the upright, but these prayers please him. They cause him to delight. This is exactly what he wants. These prayers that glorify the Father as the Father. So this makes me ask one final question then for us. It's an application question to wrap things up. I'm going to assume for a moment that some of you at least pray outside of praying for your meals and for our time here together, but you actually do pray and you want to pray in some way outside of this, but you, you, uh, here's the question. Do your prayers make much of God? The way that you pray, the things that you pray, your own heart attitude, the amount, if you pray, does it make much of God? Um, does your heart attitude toward God resemble the heart of Jesus, where he says, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Or is it possible that sometimes we lose sight of God's glory in our prayers? And we think about it as a way to, to, to do the things we're supposed to do, but not consider how these things bring honor and glory to God and what would do so. Do your prayers demonstrate that you fear the Lord and hope in his steadfast love? The third and most glorious reason why we should pray, guys, is that it brings God honor and glory. So dear brothers and sisters, we should pray not only because we get to have God's ear in a selfish way, but that having God's ear with a heart to fear and obey, brings him pleasure and also us good and joy as well. 
For these reasons, I would call us then to obey God, to enjoy him, and to bring him pleasure as we pray to our good Father. Let me pray for us together as we close out that he would work in us in this way. Let's pray. Lord, this is my simple request. Help us in our unbelief. We believe. Would you teach us to pray? Would you satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love? We may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days that you afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. God, this is what we're asking, that the favor, that your favor would be upon us and that you would establish the work of our hands. May you bless your people. May we look to you and call out to you by faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you're not a part of a gospel-centered church in your city, we encourage you to find and belong to one. For further sermons and more information on Cornerstone Bible Church, please visit cbcvirginia.com.